and gentlemen, aka friends, Romans and countrymen, Romans. Anyway, lend me your ears because we are going to jump into the Torah reading. Okay, so today is Tuesday, which means we're up to the third reading of our Torah portion, which is Bo. Now, Bo continues the story of the plagues, which is precipitating the Exodus. So last week's Torah portion, we had the first seven plagues. Yesterday, we read about the plague of locusts, which is plague eight. And we started talking about the plague of darkness, which is plague number nine. I want to actually pick up the conversation with the plague of darkness because there's so much to talk about. All right, here we go. Share screen, coffee talk. Talk amongst yourselves. Muffaklemt. Okay. Here, here we have it. Second reading, I'm going to get to the end. We talked about darkness. Right? God says to Moses, this is the ninth plague, so it's the third in the sets of three. So there's no warning here. There's no warning. It's just kind of unilateral. It's the God says to Moses, bring the plague, and the plague is brought. That's always the third of, in the series of three. That's always how those plagues work. So that's what happens. God says, stretch your hand forth, and, it, he got, and Moses stretched his hand forth, and indeed it was dark. It was thick darkness. I mentioned yesterday this idea of a darkness that you can't move, like a darkness that is so consuming that you can't even get up from your place. You can't see someone. You can't get up from your place. And I mentioned, I think very quickly at the end, a little bit of a spiritual understanding of this. Not to take away from the physical understanding of it, that it was literally a plague where literally they couldn't move and literally the Jews went through the, the homes of the Egyptians cataloging their precious items for, to, in preparation for the Exodus. And literally there were Jews that died in, during this plague that God didn't want anyone to see. So all of these things are true. But there's also a spiritual understanding, which again, I did mention yesterday, but I want to I start with this. What is the state of freedom, personal freedom, and what is the state of personal slavery? What, and there are many ways to define that. We, hopefully by now we know, just looking at our lives, that the, the difference between slavery and freedom is not simply a physical and external condition. It's not simply like if someone finds themselves in, you know, uh, in, incarcerated, then they are imprisoned, whereas... If they're outside of incarceration, then they're free. If life was so simple, you know, that would be one thing, but it's not so simple. You could have someone who is incarcerated, who's absolutely free, and you could have someone that's not incarcerated, that's absolutely in prison. Because the truest definition of freedom or the opposite of freedom is really connected with an internal condition. It's not an external condition. It's not up to external factors. It has to do with how we are inside. So you can have someone who lives in a free country. There are no restrictions, no existential restrictions on their being, on their body, and yet they can be stuck and they can be enslaved and they can be miserable and it could be, God forbid, terrible. Conversely, you could have somebody who is stuck in a certain place, and who yet feels absolutely free. Because freedom, as I mentioned a moment ago, freedom and its opposite are not so much based on something outside of oneself, it's based on something inside of oneself. Which is why, parenthetically, let me stop sharing for a second because we're having schmooze anyway. Which is why, parenthetically, 
Every time that God tells Moses, pretty much every time that God tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, it's always followed by, so that they may serve me. And I've mentioned this many times. The whole thing of Moses called, let my people go, is, uh, is, is not true. It's not what Moses said. Moses quoted God. Moses didn't say, let my people go. But Moses took ownership of the people. He's like, these are my people. <laughs> Self-appointed, these are my people. And that's it. They voted him in to be their lead, to, to be the representative. Not, that's not how the story happened. Let my people go is not Moses. It's God. Moses is relaying the word of God, let my people go, so that they may serve me. And that's the other half that's also misunderstood or just simply left out. This is not a human rights. This is not a, this is not a slavery issue. Although it's also that, but that's not what it is primarily. Primarily, it's a divine service issue. And so the message to Pharaoh that God tells Moses to deliver is simply this. We have no time building your buildings, Pharaoh. We got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. We have, there's, there's more important stuff in life to do than just, you know, build your stuff, than be involved in your pyramid schemes. This, that was a joke. There's so much more. There's, there's higher activity. There's deeper purpose in life. There's being of a, of a higher service of God. What can be better than that? So we have no time schlepping bricks and making bricks from straw. Who has time for that? Menial activities? When God's master plan for the universe is waiting? This is what freedom is. Let me connect the dots. What is freedom? In internal freedom. Inner freedom is a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of direction, a sense of nobility, right? A sense that I have something that needs me. There's something, someone, or something, a mission that needs me, I need to step up. That's a game changer. When I wake up in the morning, if I know that the world needs me, that God needs me, that my family and friends need me, I'm empowered to jump into this day with energy. If I wake up thinking, eh, all right, what am I going to do today, right? No one needs me. But like, what am I going to do? That can be exhausting. And that's the ultimate in shackling. That's the ultimate slavery. The ultimate slavery from this perspective is not recognizing the truth that you have infinite value and you are infinitely necessary for this master plan. Not knowing that constitutes the ultimate slavery. So the ultimate slavery is not knowing how much you're needed. The ultimate freedom is knowing how much you're needed. This is the message that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. And in doing so, by publicizing this, this is the message that God told Moses to tell us as well. And that is, let my people go because they have to serve me. They have a higher purpose. There's some master plan waiting for them to unfold. They don't have time for this stuff. This is what freedom is. So being stuck means being stuck in self. In this illusion that we are our own creator and we create our own destiny and we have our own, we create our own purpose. And that is simply exhausting. That is simply exhausting. Freedom is recognizing there's a higher plan, there's a higher purpose. 
I am being called upon by the creator of all, the capital C, by the creator, by the architect, by the designer, extraordinaire. I'm needed to accomplish something absolutely outstanding. That's empowering. It's not ego. It's not, I didn't choose myself. It's not ego. It's I am being chosen and every human being is in the same boat. How could it be ego if the other person has the same, the same infinite value as I have? If I recognize that I have infinite value because by, by virtue of me being here, God wants me here and needs me here, and that's true, <coughs> excuse me, that's true with the other one as well, that's not ego. That's not, look how great I am. It's not ego. This is the ultimate of humility. It's humbling to know that God needs me for something. And when I look at someone else, I look at someone else as another member of this incredible mission. We're on the same team. We're not adversaries. We're on the same team. It's a game changer. And so by the ninth plague, what does the Torah say? The Torah says the following. I'm going to share my screen. Let me tie this into so plague number nine. Yeah. But, so the Jews, though, so on the team... I mean, say it again. As Jews, we have different roles on the team because not non-Jews are not tasked with the mitzvahs. Right. So every human being, every human being, whether they are Jewish or whether they're of a different faith, it doesn't matter. Every single human being is put here on earth for a mission. And everyone has a mission. So what I'm saying is like this. Not that everyone has, in all the details, the same exact mission. But everyone has a divinely ordained mission that they are absolutely needed for. And it's the, it's the composite or it's the cumulative efforts of all of us doing our mission that gets the job done. So when we look at someone else, our first thought is, should be, ought to be, here is another human being that is here by divine necessity to do their mission and to be part of this, of this collective effort. So yes... There are unique mitzvahs for Jews and there are other obligations for others. It doesn't make a difference. The point is, collectively, we're all here, or individually and then collectively, we all are needed, we're all necessary. Or to put it in the way that Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who we brought down a few years ago at our dinner, the last in-person dinner that we did at Calumont, uh 2000 and... I don't know. 2019, maybe, at the end of 2019, whatever. Anyway, the last dinner that we had in person, uh, so, so Rabbi Jacobson writes in his book, Torah Mini Flev, which is a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, definitely read it. It's beautiful. So he writes, birth, the, he encapsulates the Rebbe's teaching. Birth is God saying, you matter. That's what birth is. Birth is God saying, you matter more than you matter. I need you. I need, it's like when, you know, I remember as a kid, we would have games of like pick up baseball. What's pick up baseball? Not where you pick up a baseball, but where you, you're playing baseball and you have a bunch of kids, you have two captains, and then everyone like the, the two captains alternate and they pick, they pick kids onto their team, right? So two captains and like, oh, I take you, I take you, I take you, I take you, I take you. To get picked is great. Everyone wants to get picked, right? When you get picked, it's like the captain says, I need you, I want you on my team, I need you on my team. That's a great feeling. God says to you, and you, and you, and you. God says to all of us, I, want, I pick you. I choose you. It's an incredibly empowering way to look at it. And, it, and it, what it does is it allows us to see a different side of another human being. They're not just a drain 
on resources, they're sucking my oxygen, competition, taking up space. Okay, so that's a war perspective. A healthy perspective, a divine perspective is, here's another human being that is part of the effort of God's intention, making this world a better place. They're needed. I'm needed. They're needed. And this is what the plague says. The last line, and this is why I wanted to start right over here to kind of like bring this home a little bit more than yesterday because we were rushing. By the ninth, by the ninth plague, the Torah says it was so th- the darkness was so thick, they did not see each other. And what I'm saying here is that what is the thick darkness? It's not just literal. It, it is also literal, but it's not just literal. It means the thick darkness means the darkness of slavery, the fog of slavery, which is tied into, if we want to put it in a different language, it's tied into ego and essentially narcissism. It's narcissistic to say, I'm here for myself. There's no, nothing higher than me. I'm here for myself. I'm going to chart my own path. And if I don't find something for myself, then I guess I have no purpose. That's, that's all driven by ego. Even if it leads to frustration and, and, and a depressing conclusion, it's driven by ego paradoxically. It's me feeling like I have to come up with my own mission. And if I don't, then now I'm depressed. But that's still ego. Humility is saying, and that's darkness because it's not true. Humility is saying, I'm not here for myself. I didn't create myself. God's in control. If I'm here, then I'm here for a mission. And that allows me to, that, that allows the darkness, like the clouds, to dissipate. That allows the darkness, the heavy darkness, to lift. And that gives me light and buoyancy. And now I wake up in the morning, I'm excited. It's like, what does God have in store for me today? I'm excited to explore my mission and how I can make the world a little bit better, someone else's life a little bit brighter today. So what happens is when there is the opposite, though, when there's the thick darkness, when we forget why we're here, when we think that we're the masters of our own destiny, etc., what that leads to is that we don't see each other. We don't see each other as a, as a noble human being. We don't see the other person. What we see is someone who's getting in the way. I need to go here and you're in my way. Right? We get offended. You're in my way. We're in line and someone's taking some more time. We roll the eyes. Are you kidding me? Look at this person. Right? We get angry. We, get, we simmer at the other person. We get angry. Why? Because they're in my way. I'm the most important and they're in my way. We're not seeing each other. We're not seeing each other. Why are we not seeing each other? Because we're not seeing the big picture. Because we're stuck in a thick darkness. So when we're in a state of darkness, which is the state of slavery, which is exile, whatever you want to call it, when we're in the state of darkness, internal darkness, not external, this is all internal, then we don't see each other. We don't realize how if I'm empowered by God, that other person is also empowered by God. Now they could certainly speed it up a little bit because I am waiting. Certainly, you know, they can move things along. But, but I do it with love and a smile and not like irritation, like how dare they? Right? It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective. And the second piece, hold on, what you, right, hold on what, one, one second. And the second piece is the, two things, two implications of the thick darkness, the inner darkness. Number one, you don't, we don't see each other. And number two, we don't rise from our place. That means that we're stuck in ourselves. We're stuck in ourselves. We never truly rise as long as we think that we're in control. We never truly rise. The moment we realize that God is in control, that he put us here for a mission, for a reason. Our life is literally a gift every second. Every breath that we take is a gift that's been given us, that's been breathed into us in this moment for a reason. And that is it. 
And that is it. When we realize that, the sky is the limit to how much we can soar. It's the humility that paradoxically leads to the greatest growth, and it's the arrogance that leads to the greatest grounding. I don't mean that in a good way. I mean the, 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 the greatest being stuck, being weighed down. Again, you think the more, this, the more empowered you are, the more you believe in yourself, the more confident you are, the greater you can soar. And that's the greatest myth that's ever been told. That's the American myth. How, and I turn to our society and say, how's that working out for you? I don't mean any specific person. I just mean at a societal level. These messages of this is what's the key to happiness, it doesn't work. Otherwise, you would have a country of 350 million people that are all happy and smiling all day. And it's not the case. And, and what's missing is, an honest sense of truth, which is that we're not here for ourselves and we're not here to feel good. And that's not why we're, that's not why we're here. These are not bad things, by the way, but that's not why we're here for a mission. Again, just remember this. If nothing else, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, not so that they can be free, not so that they can go golfing, not so that they can go to Miami Beach. God said, let my people go so that they may serve me. And if you look at it from a Western perspective, wow, that is the most suffocating message ever. Let my people go so that they may serve me? What kind of message is that? What kind of message of freedom is that? We've been, so, we've been told to lie all these years. Moses was the great redeemer. Are you kidding me? Moses was the great um, warden. He, he, he locked the Jews up with God. How is that freedom? What are we celebrating on Passover? Everyone gets together with the Seder. Everyone gets together for the Seder. I think the Seder by, um, passed uh, Yom Kippur for like, you know, observance. Universal observance. The, the Seder is more, is, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? We don't even know what we're celebrating. We're celebrating, not freedom. It's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating purpose which is freedom also, but not the freedom. When I say we're not celebrating freedom, I mean we're not celebrating the Western notion of freedom. We're celebrating a Jewish notion of freedom, which is so much deeper and so much more freeing and liberating. Anyway, I've, I've talked long enough about this. I hope this made, made sense. All right. Yeah, made sense? Okay. Let's so now, yeah, sure. So, but the non-Jews whatever their missions are that are different than ours, they don't do the mitzvah, are they still helping bring Messiah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone, here, here's the thing. Everyone has mitzvahs. Happens to be the Jew has a lot, a lot of mitzvahs. Everyone, there are seven mitzvahs for all mankind. Now, when I say seven, these are seven very general categories that include many subdivisions within them. So there's... Oh, so I mean, basically all the 16... Below those seven, are part of the seven, right? Are you talking about the Noahide? The seven, seven Noahide laws, right. We call them Noahide laws, but mean, mean, meaning mitzvahs for all mankind. The 613, the 613 could be under them. Not really, because some of them are very particular to a specific history. For example, Perfect. Passover, right? So let's say there's a mitzvah to eat matzah on Passover. It's not a universal mitzvah. Yeah, it's not an obligation. The theme is universal, like we're talking about today. Sure. But the obligate, the specific obligation on the, the night of the 15th of, of Nisan, that every year you should sit down and eat matzah, 
It's not a universal so obligation. Our particular mitzvahs have more to do with our particular relationship with God. Yeah, so obviously there's going to be, right, there's going to be traditions. I'm not saying obviously to you, I'm saying it's understandable, that's what I mean. It's understandable that that when you're dealing with a, a, a certain people with a certain history, a certain tradition, that you're going to have very specific um, rites and rituals. But there are, to, to address your original question, there are mitzvahs for everybody. Everyone has mitzvahs, and they're very, and yes, that's all part of the collective. Mashiach can't come if the world is not, I mean, for lack of a better term, menshi, right? It, it, it's, 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 that's at the core of, of, of what's going on. And this is, I mean, it's at the core of what everyone wants. I mean, unless we're dealing with someone who's like, you know, God forbid, like really like evil inside. I, but everyone wants world peace, you know, and end to suffering. All decent moral human beings, which I, I, I got to believe is got to be 99.9% of people on earth, right? I mean, you have rare exceptions of people that are sociopaths and, and you know, like whatever. And, and how do we understand what that is? I don't know. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people right, are, are good people that want good things. But we get, we get caught up in stuff. We get caught up in our own egos and our own this. We're good people, but when the neighbor puts their garbage on our lawn, whoa, we lose it. Because what were you doing? What were you thinking, bro? On my lawn? But we just get distracted. We're still good people. They're still good people. We get distracted. Torah is about reminding us and resetting us, recalibrating. Okay, let's jump into the third reading. All of this was by way of introduction or by way of kind of finally, uh, finishing up from yesterday. So reading number three, today's Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, reading number one, two, and three. Reading three. Torah reading for Bo. We're in this week. We have the Exodus. So stay tuned. It's going to happen at some point this week in DVP. The Jews will walk out of Egypt. Let's do this. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. So Pharaoh summoned Moses and said. This is... Um, after or during whatever the plague of darkness. Go, I mean, this is like third or fourth time he said this. Maybe fourth time by now. Go worship the Lord. Right? Okay, go. But your flocks and your cattle shall be left. Your young children may also go with you. He's trying to negotiate. I feel so bad for him. He just doesn't get it. I feel bad. I'm like cringing inside. He's still trying to negotiate. It's like, Pharaoh, you will not... <laughs> you will... It's like the, the slow realization, it's like, and it's a really slow realization of like, you don't actually have any bargaining chips. Like you don't, there's no, you're not. It's like, well, what about this? It's like, no, but what? No, no, it's just gonna be more plagues. I mean, whenever you want it to stop, just here's, here are the terms. You don't have a, you don't have a mark. You don't have a negotiation. You don't have a side. It's like either, like it's either let us go or just get more plagues. I mean, that's, that's your choice. But he's like, okay, Pharaoh like believes that he could still negotiate his way out of this. He's like, okay, so you go and worship God, but keep your animals here, right? Leave your animals behind. But this time I'm going to let you go. I'm, I'm, I'll let your young children go with you. If you recall after the plague of, of locusts, which hit Pharaoh very hard. So he said, okay, go, but who do you want to go? We did this yesterday. He's like, who, who, who's going to go? So Moses says, everybody, old, young, the animals, everything. Uh, men, women, boys, girls, every, everyone's going. And Pharaoh says, no, no way. Just the adults, not the kids, not the cattle. Moses says, no dice, and he leaves. Well, after plague nine, one plague, one plague later, what happens is, they're still negotiating. I mean, Pharaoh's still trying to negotiate. So he's giving in. 
is there are three items on the table. Let, let me just break this down very clearly. There are three categories on the adults, kids, animals. So before plague number eight, Pharaoh said adults, yes, kids and cattle, no. So after plague nine, he's now, okay, how about this? How about adults and kids, yes, but cattle, no. <laughs> Moses has got to be like, this guy doesn't get it. I mean, what are you, <laughs> he's still negotiating. What kind of negotiation? Like, what, are we, what are we talking about over here? All right, so he says, go, your young children also, but leave your flocks and cattle. But Moses said, you two, not, oh, listen to this. Moses is like, Moses is laughing. Not only are we going to take our animals, you're going to send your animals. You see that? You see what he's going to say over here? Moses says, you too shall give sacrifices and burn offerings into our hands, and we will make them for the Lord our God. Not only, not only are we going to take our animals, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pharaoh, but we're going to take your animals also. You're going to send animals that we're going to use to, to, to serve God. And also our cattle will go with us. Not a single hoof will remain. That's a line. That's a line. Not a single hoof will remain. Look at that. Forget the people. I mean, don't forget the people. But in addition to the people, not one hoof, not one paw, I don't know paw, not one hoof is going to remain. For we will take it, for we will take from it to worship the Lord our God. Oh, and now he gives a logical reason, which I almost, sorry for critiquing Moses. I almost don't like that he's giving a reason here, but he gives a reason. And we do not know, because we're, we're going to go serve God, and we do not know how much we will worship the Lord until we arrive there. So he's almost saying, like, we don't know how many animals we're going to need, so we're going to take everything. I, per <sighs> sorry, sorry for being critical now, but I would say, like, bro, like, you, you don't get to choose anymore. Pharaoh, the days of you being in control are long gone, man. I mean, wake up and smell the darkness. This is not, like, you are not in control. You're still trying to pretend like you're in control. I, I say you're allowed to do this, but you can't do that. No. I don't know what you're talking about. You're, God's in control. We're taking the animals, and we're busting out. Anyway, well, what happens here at this point? The negotiations fail once again. And the Lord strengthened Pharaoh's heart, and once again, he was unwilling to let them out. Yeah, it's sad. It is actually sad. Pharaoh said to him, now Pharaoh's angry. Now he's angry. He realizes he's not in control. He realizes he's lost everything. He realizes that it's, it's, it's only going to end one way. Abject destruction. Like everything is going to, just the whole thing is going to explode or implode, whatever you, your, whatever, however you want to picture it. So at this point, he gets angry. And you know, that anger is a sense of loss of control. I, and I actually want to speak about anger for a second, because so often anger is born of the, the recognition that we are not in control, and then we're mad that we're not in control. We get angry. We get angry when we're not in control, as opposed to a healthy process is to recognize we're not in control and to embrace that. We're not in control. Yes. Thank God I'm not in control. Because if I was running this, the whole place would be in shambles anyway. Right? I mean, listen. We're all capable and competent human beings. We're all wonderful. I love you all. I'm just saying, if we're running all of this, uh-oh. Right? We don't run this. God runs this. And we are, we are caretakers and, 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 and co-creators. And that's being nice to us. Here's the, I'm not taking away our mission, obviously. I just spoke about that for, for at length before. But the point is that we're not in control. But if we come at it from an arrogant place, I am in control, then when we're confronted with the truth that we're not in control, we get angry. Part of that anger is a loss of 
what we perceived as our identity. Like we thought we were in control and now we're not. You're telling me I'm not? I hate you. I don't like you telling me that I'm not in control. That makes me upset, even though it's the truth. So we have two ways of finding out that we're not in control. Either willingly and with love and humility, and that's a freeing experience. It's a paradigm shift that's freeing. Or we can go down kicking and screaming. Well, that's Pharaoh's model. Pharaoh is Pharaoh opted for door number two. Pharaoh's going down the kicking and screaming model, which is what he's doing right now, where he gets angry, and uh, you see what he says. Pharaoh said to him, to Moses, go away from me. You know who says that? Kids. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, this is not me, you know. <laughs> I'm not trying to um, call out kids. I'm just saying it's a, it's, it's a bit of an immature perspective here. Go away from me. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. The guy's telling him the truth. He's like, you don't, you're not in control. You're not, you're not, you have no negotiation power. And he says, get away. Beware, he says to Moses, you shall no longer see my face. From the day that you see my face, you shall die. The last empty threat that he'll ever speak to Moses. This is the last empty threat. On the day that you see my face, you shall die. Spoiler alert. Not true. Never happened. Thereupon Moses said, Moses says to him, Nachon, Kenti Barta, true, you've spoken correctly. I shall no longer see your face. You don't, you don't want to see my face? No problem. You're not going to see my face. I'm not coming back. Basically, he's telling him, sayonara, baby. Just buckle up for plague number 10. Exodus chapter 11. It's a dramatic story. Listen, there's a reason why this became like a big deal. It's a pretty dramatic story. It's not by, not by uh, surprise, not by happenstance that this become a, a, a deal. Exodus chapter 11, we continue. Just remember, if you're wondering why do we have consistently these chapter breaks in middle of readings, just know that the readings were divided by Moses originally. The chapters were done by the church maybe a thousand years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe 1,500 years ago. One of the popes, maybe? Some, one of, some whatever, church leader, I forget who, divided the chapters like this. So you have different divisions. Not to say we don't use them for convenience sake, but you know, when you, you, the, often we encounter this. All right, Exodus chapter 11, verse number one. So the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague. That's it. Last one. Upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Now, this is huge. Because from the original conversation with Moses that happened at least a year prior at the burning bush, God had told Moses, you're going to go to him, you're going to ask him, you're going to tell him, you're going to warn him, I'm going to plague him, and he's going to say, no, 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 no. He's going to refuse. But ultimately, you're going to get out. Now, God tells Moses, this is it. Tenth plague. I mean, he doesn't say ten, but I'm sure Moses did the math. There were nine others. So, tenth plague. This is it. And afterwards, this, this, this is going to be the one. And when he lets you out, he will completely drive you out of here. He's not going to just say go. He's not going to say I let you go. He's going to say get out of here. He's going to push you out. That's how desperate he's going to be to get you out. He's not just going to be passively allowing you to leave. He's going to be pushing you out. There's no middle ground with Pharaoh. Either he's trying to grab on or he's pushing out. 
one extreme or the other. So God says to Moses the following, uh, and this is beautiful. This is beautiful on many levels. I'm going to share a few insights on this. He says, please, speak into the ears of the people. God, this is God to Moses. Speak to the ears of the people, the Jewish people, and let them borrow each man from his friend and each woman from her friend silver vessels and golden vessels. God says to Moses, tenth plague is upcoming. This is going to be the one after which Pharaoh says, go, go, go. In anticipation of this tenth plague and you getting out and being driven out of Egypt, right? Drive you out. Being driven out of Egypt, I want you to tell the people to start taking, borrowing, collecting from their Egyptian neighbors silver and gold vessels. I'm going to explain this in a second. You may be familiar with this already from previous conversations, but I'm going to explain the background on this. But let's do one more verse. So the Lord gave the people favor in the Egyptians' eyes. That means when the people asked for the klekesev, the klezav, for the silver and golden vessels, their Egyptian neighbors responded favorably. Also, the man Moses was highly esteemed in the land of Egypt. Moses, although to Pharaoh, Moses was enemy number one, He was highly esteemed in Egypt in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants and in the eyes of the people. So it's interesting because we might sometimes think, you know, what what did the Egyptians on the street think about Moses and the Jewish people at this time? What were they thinking? And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't have to conjure up our own, you know, I think this is what they must have felt. The Torah says clearly, the people, the people had uh, garnered favor in the Egyptians' eyes. The Egyptians looked at the people favorably, favor. And Moses was highly esteemed in the eyes of the servants well, and the people. Yeah. Well, his servants had begged him to let the people go. Yeah, yeah. They had, remember, two plagues ago, or whatever, plague eight, they had said, Pharaoh, what are you doing to us? So, Pharaoh becomes, yeah, so Pharaoh, so what's interesting, exactly what you're saying, is that kind of the, the, some of the roles, not roles, whatever, some of the perspective maybe have shifted. So instead of Pharaoh being like their God, the reverence to Pharaoh, he does all right, and Moses, the bad guy, it's the, the, the servants are like, once you're the bad guy, Pharaoh, you're the one that's destroying this place, Moses is repping God, he's representing God, it's like, you're, you're the one that's, that's making this crumble. You have a choice. Let them go. Send them out of here. Save us. Save the country. Let, get, don't let your ego get in the way of, of what's right. So Moses becomes the respected one. Pharaoh becomes, Pharaoh becomes the one not to be respected. And, and this filters down also, and this is, I think, the first time we've seen this, at least the first time it's expressed in, in, in the psukim, in the verses themselves, black and white, in the eyes of the people as well. Moses is now highly esteemed. And not only Moses, the people were, were, had favor in the Egyptians' eyes. And that's a direct um, part of the narrative that, that directly fits into this piece of the narrative where the Jews are meant to collect, borrow, collect, take, whatever, silver and golden vessels. Now, I'm going to explain that, and you may be familiar with it. I'm going to explain it in a second, but let me just see how uh, reading 
4 carries on. We are, we are going to stop with reading 3 because 4 describes four, uh, reading 4. Ne, uh, tomorrow's reading describes the 10th plague and the Mitzvah Rosh Chodesh and the Paschal Lamb. All that good stuff. Tomorrow is an absolutely action-packed reading. You don't want to miss tomorrow. Um, let's wrap up. Let's kind of wrap up today with this, um, with verses 2 and 3 going back to the borrowing the silver and gold vessels. What was that all about? I want to share Rashi. I want to share Rashi. Rashi ties this request of God to Moses, to the people, to the Egyptians. Right? Just remember what's going on here. The, 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 the cust- chain of custody or chain of command here. God is telling Moses to tell the people to borrow from the Egyptians the silver and gold vessels. So it's God to Moses, to the people, and then to the Egyptians. But God says, please, daber na, please. Please almost evokes the sense of God saying to Moses, like, do, do me a solid. Like, do me a favor here. Why is God requesting in, in, in such, like, beseeching terms? What's going on here? So Rashi explains, please. Daber is an expression of request. The verse is saying, I ask you to warn them about this. In other words, warn is not a good word. To warn sounds like a, something stern. This is not a warning in a stern way, but it means to be very careful about this. So I ask you to, to really impress upon the people how important this is. What, what thing? i.e. to ask their neighbors for vessels, for the gold and silver, so that the righteous, why, and why is it so important to me? Why, God, right, God, why is it so important to God that Moses tell the people, but not just tell them, you know, when you, if you have some time, collect some gold and silver, but to really be on top of it to make sure that it happens, why is God so invested in this piece of the narrative? So that the righteous man Abraham will not say, that he fulfilled, God fulfilled with them the promise and they will enslave them and oppress them. But he did not fulfill with them the, the other half of that prophecy, which is afterwards they will go forth with great possessions. So this harkens back to Genesis 15. What happens there, and, and I'm sure you remember, is that Abraham and God have a schmooze. And they have a covenant. The bris ben Abisarim, the covenant of the parts. They took animals and they... I mean, Abraham took animals, divided them in half, and whatever it was. A covenant. A, a deal. And what was the covenant? God says, I'm yours. Abraham says, I'm yours. They, they pledge, you know, allegiance to each other. God says to Abraham, however, it's not always going to be good. Your descendants will be enslaved and oppressed in a land that is foreign, in a foreign land. But then he says, but afterwards they will leave with great wealth. So there's two parts of the promise, of, the, of this prophecy from God to, to Abraham. Number one, your kids are going to be slaves. I mean, whatever, descendants will be slaves. And number two, they're going to leave. Ultimately, they'll get out and they'll leave with great wealth. So God says to Moses, make sure that please be on top of this. Make sure the people get the gold and silver. Because I don't want Abraham on my case saying, God, you told me 400 years ago, you told me that my kids are going to be uh, slaves, but then they're going to be wealthy when they leave. They were slaves, but they didn't get the wealth. So God says to Moses, 
help me fulfill my, uh, my promise to Abraham. Help me fulfill the prophecy of leaving in great wealth. I need you to hook, to hook up your people, to hook up the people so that I don't look bad for Abraham. What is the deeper significance of all this? Like, why does it really matter? I mean, would Abraham really call out God and say, hey, you delivered on the slavery piece, but not on the wealth piece? I mean, maybe. But what's the deeper message? The deeper message here is, it's not wealth for the sake of wealth. It's an understanding of possessions having immense potential. Everything, as you and I know, everything has a soul, including gold and silver. Any possession has a soul. And we are empowered and... More than empowered, we are expected to utilize our resources for our purpose. Again, just connecting this piece with the beginning of how we started today's session. You know, we all have a purpose. We have a higher purpose. And we're, we're here essentially in service of God. Fine. And, and what do we use for that? We use ourselves, our own bodies, but we also use our resources. And that's what Moses told Pharaoh. We got to take the cattle. You want us to leave our possessions behind? That's how we serve God. We serve God with the stuff. Serving God is not some theoretical situation that happens on a mountaintop, as we've talked about in you know, vis-a-vis meditation. It's not like, it's not like you know, an abstract connection. It's a tangible connection. I connect with God through my stuff. I use my, I use my phone to connect with people, to study Torah, and to pray, which is, happens to be true. Um, but that's, that's what we can, and so we're, we're taking the sheep out of Egypt, right? This could be used, whatever, for, 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 for distractions, but we're utilizing it. I'm not saying you know, me versus any, I'm just saying like we are utilizing the stuff for a higher purpose. And that's, that's the reason why this stuff is here. So God tells Abraham, your descendants are going to be slaves, but then they're going to leave with great wealth, not just as like, you know, payback, make them feel good. Make them less angry. Take the edge off of the 210 years of slavery. That's not the point. I mean, it also could help. But that's not the point. The point is that having left the, 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 the state of slavery, as we talked about at the beginning of today's session, and having embraced the path of freedom and service of God, now it's time to take the resources and, ta- and, and transform them and transfer them from Egyptian ego self-serving, narcissistic domain to the selfless, in-service-of-God domain. It's about taking the Egyptian wealth, i.e. that which could be used for all sorts of negative purposes, and utilizing it for a positive purpose. That's the transformation. So for the Jews to have left without the Egyptian silver and gold, although you might say, well, thank God they're out, that's only for looking at the box. If we're looking at freedom as just external parameters, are you, are you officially, does Pharaoh feel like he's in control or not? It's not about Pharaoh. It's not about where you are geographically even. But it's about a state of being, a state of mind, and then utilizing the resources to achieve the purpose, which is to make the world a home for Hashem. That's the purpose, to make this world a home and at home with God. And that's by utilizing the resources. Make the stuff into a home. So it's no longer a phone. It's a connection device, right? It's no longer a table. It's a study device. It's no longer a car. It's a get the services faster device. It's everything that we have can be used. And when we use it for a holy purpose, we're doing the same thing. We're excavating 
Egyptian, so-called Egyptian wealth and transforming it into something of service of God. It's the same thing. So that's why God says, to, at a deeper level, God says to, to, to Moses, make sure you take it out because otherwise Abraham is going to be upset. Not because he's upset about the money, because he's upset about the legacy. Right? What's, what's the point of my kids being slaves? Like, what, what, what was this all about if they're not going to take out the wealth, if they're not going to transform the world, if they're just going to go about and live spiritual lives and that's it? Then what was the point of all this? It, it's only justified when there's a transformation that happens. Anyway, I hope this makes sense. So God says to Moses, I want you to be on top of this, on the ground, make sure that it happens. All right, so I think we have a theme. So we'll close this out. So I think we have a theme for today. And the theme is the spiritual meaning of freedom. Freedom is not simply, I was behind bars, now I'm, not, now, now I'm no longer behind bars. I mean, that's a technical definition of freedom. A deeper definition of freedom is internal. What do we feel like inside? What are we thinking inside? Are we thinking and feeling in terms of self, ego, narcissism? Are we thinking that we're in control or, or do we recognize that God's in control? And letting go is the freedom. It's the freedom in the letting go and being of service. doesn't get any better than that. Speaking of being in service, and, and in, in the spirit of DPP and announcing new things, we are teaming up with a few organizations locally to be part of a Tubishvat tree planting experience up in Hammond Park in Sandy Springs. And we are putting together an IJA group. You may be already on, on, on other lists and receive this information, but if you wish to be part of an IJA group, an email will go out soon, um, hopefully in the next day or two, to, be, to participate in this. Why am I mentioning this? Mention this in the context of giving back and helping out and making the world a better place, literally more beautiful. It's going to be um, Sunday, January 16th at 1 p.m., 1 to 4 p.m., or as long as you can stay, up in, uh, up in Hammond Park in Sandy. Yes. Okay, so if one can't go, can you purchase the tree and someone else That's a really good question. I'm, I'm going to check in on that. That is a really good question, and I think the answer is yes, but I will yeah. check. I will check with our, with our partners. Okay, awesome. Good. All right, any questions or comments as we close? Oh, what is this? Oh, the corkscrew. Look at that. An actual corkscrew with levers, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to the... As opposed to... All right, good. We'll, uh, we'll kick it off. By the way, Don, if you can bring it by, if there's another opportunity for you to bring it by sooner, um, the tradition is to dip it into the vessel mikvah, Anything, even it's new. It doesn't matter that it hasn't been used before. It's new. You, okay. you dip it into a mikvah. There's a mikvah in Toko that I can take it to, an above-ground uh, situation. But it's, it's actually, it's a biblical mitzvah to tovel, nice. to, to immerse vessels. So this is also a moment to talk about that mitzvah. I'll do a quick plug on that. Um, now, speaking of quick plugs, if it's something that when you plug it in, it's going to blow up. If you, if you immerse it in water, then, then, then maybe, maybe not. Maybe think twice about that. Right, like, I don't know if you should put a microwave in, like that's probably not a good idea. Um, but, or a cell phone. No, it's anything that involves food. Cell phone would not count. Anything that involves food, cooking, serving, eating, utensils, etc. New items. It's not about koshering, it's about new items. Uh, traditionally get immersed in a mikvah. It's a, biblical, it's a biblical commandment that we learn from 
a story in the book of Numbers, which I'm sure we've talked about before, but it's, it's one thing to talk about a mitzvah in the context of a story. It's another time about it in the context of real life, you know, having an actual corkscrew right there. So that's very cool. All right, awesome. So if you could bring it by at some point, or maybe I could get it from you, then I can make sure, yeah, then I can make sure to get that taken care of before. I mean, I can't bring it Saturday, right? No, ideally not, yeah. All right, good. Great to see everybody. Wishing everybody a Yom Tov, a good day. Um, Oh, forgot to mention. Forgot to mention. How did I forget to mention this? I, I should have started with this. Today is a very special day. I'm sorry that it's coming at the end. All apologies. Today is a very special day. It's Riva Solish's sixth birthday. Riva is turning. Riva turned six today. So very, very excited about that. Thank you, Sarah. She is. We had a. because you know the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew date. So Hebrew day started at night. So last night we had a birthday party. We started the celebration with some birthday party cupcakes and whatever. And a party and some Jewish stuff. She she says some sukkim, some verses by heart, and then of Torah. And then uh, she had a celebration this morning in school, and I'm sure the party will continue this afternoon as well. Anyway, just wanted to share that with you because we are family. So I wanted to share the uh, the simcha. All right, everybody. I wish everybody a wonderful day, and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Thank all right. you, Bye all.